Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. John, for the last few Wednesday nights, I've just, I've said kind of the same thing as an introduction that just want to talk from my heart to yours, and I feel that same thing here this evening. Um, if, if you'll join me, the book of First John 4, I'm, I'm going to read a couple of verses in verse 7 and 8, and then in a few moments we'll read several more scriptures from the book of First John. The Bible says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. <clears throat> and he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Yes. Amen. If you don't love, then you just don't know God. Right. Amen. That's what the scripture says. And so I want to speak this evening from this subject. We talked about a few things, but adding to this tonight, I want to talk about having a heart for others, a heart for others. Amen. God bless you, and thank you for standing in your worship tonight. What a great refreshing to come into the house of the Lord on this Wednesday evening and feel such a wonderful presence of God. A couple of Sunday, a couple of Sundays ago, Brother Chris Osborne and his message talked about the time-saving devices that we all have and utilize all the things that are available to us today. And then he mentioned that despite that fact, we have less and less time on our hands, seemingly. Unfortunately, one of the sad consequences of living in such a fast-paced society is that we lose and are losing the ability if we're not very careful or very intentional, we'll lose the ability to develop meaningful relationships. There are a lot of friends on our friends list that we're not really even sure who they are. We recognize their face, but really it's a connection of a connection, and sometimes that creates this false sense of security or false sense that we have friends or relationships, but many times they can lack meaning and depth. And so if we're not careful because of the world in which we live, we can live with very superficial relationships. And as an end result, we can find ourselves emptier and feeling more and more alone. Can I get a witness? In this crowded world that's more connected now than it's ever been. And yet there's a sense of isolation that can come over us. And with that sense of isolation can come a spirit of discontentment. And, it's an, and it plants a seed of unrest deep within the hearts of humanity. I've told you before about 
a story I read years ago of a man that was marooned on a desert island. He spent many, many years there alone and was finally rescued and and the helicopter pilot that rescued him was inquisitive about uh, how he had survived and lived on this island all of those years. And so he asked, uh, he looked and he saw these huts, so he began to ask him about that. And so he said, well, he said, that first hut over there, that's my house, and that's where I've, I've lived all these years. And so he said, that second hut over there, he said, that's, my, that's the church, that's where I attend church. And so he said, well, what about that third hut? He said, well, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> and so here's a man who can't even get along with himself. And so if we're not careful, this sense of isolation uh, can just maroon us to our own island. And, and we're not even sure how then to deal with our, our own self. But I believe as a child of God, a Holy Ghost-filled child of God, that we should know all about love, that we should discover its depths, its breadth, and it doesn't matter uh, whether someone's in the church or out of the church, so to speak. I believe that love should be that fundamental baseline mark of true, genuine Christianity. That word Christianity can be bounced around and and tossed around very carelessly and and, uh, without caution, but love is evidence that we are truly born again. And I'll read this scripture in in its fullest in a moment, but John 13 and 35 says, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. Not by how you walk or talk or how you dress or how you conduct yourself, but by how you treat one another, your love one to another. That is going to be the forever earmark of a true disciple of mine. And so love is, of course, not the only basis for fulfilling relationships within the church, but I believe that it also helps us in that effort in outreach to touch those that are lost because you can be sure that people are watching. But something I have discovered through the years, and and I don't mean this in a pretentious way, it's really the truth, that very few people can resist genuine love. I've met some very hard and crusty people through my life, But when you can love them and they feel genuine love, they may keep you at an arm's length for a while, but real love can melt that divide. It can break down barriers. And uh, and so over the course of the last few Wednesday nights, we've been looking at things that are characteristics or things that are signs that that someone has a healthy Christian life. And so we talked about having a heart for God, that he is the center of everything that we do, not just something that we do on Sunday and Wednesday or whatever uh, nights or days that we gather, but God is just the center of our heart. What, does, what would the Lord think about this? That's the guidepost. That's the compass. And then we talked about a heart for ministry, and then last Wednesday night, and then even this Sunday, I kind of followed up with that again about all of us finding our place that we need to have a heart for ministry and then find that place for us and realize that there is indeed a place for everyone. And then tonight, I want to talk to you about having a heart for others. I believe that, that we must have loving relationships within the church. I believe that is imperative, but we've got to figure out how to have loving relationships within the church without neglecting people that are outside of the church. There's got to be a balance. And so I want to talk about those two things tonight. I believe that first and foremost, uh, that our love must reach within. There must be, uh, there must be an inward reach. And so in, in some of the department structures of our church, we have what, 
we refer to as our in-reach department, in-reach ministry, and, and that is kind of self-explanatory. It's, it's something that ministries that are pointed to minister to the church, to the church family, uh, because we can't just spend all of our time in other places, but we want to reach in. And then, of course, outreach, that's a very common phrase that we reach outside of the walls of the church. But then uh, I'll also talk about from time to time upreach because I want our leaders and, and our ministers to feel encouraged that, that something is given to them because we spend a lot of time giving away to others. Amen. So I believe that our love must reach in. So God calls us to love one another. In fact, the Bible has a lot, so much to say about love and loving one another it would be impossible to read all the scriptures, but I do want to read. I do want to read a few tonight. In the book of First John, chapter three, in verse eleven, the Bible says, "For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another." And then, if we drop down to verse fourteen, John says, "We know that we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. We have passed from death to life. We've been born again." And we know that because we love the brethren. There's a genuine invested love. But then he said, he that loveth not his brother, they haven't made the journey yet. They're still bound up in death. In verse 16, he said, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. In verse 18, he says, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So, John is saying, you got to do more than just talk about it. It's so easy to just say, I love you. Those three words, you can, you can develop a habit of just saying, I love you. And there really be no love at all, not real genuine love. And so we can't just say and should not just say to one another, I love you with our lips. But there needs to be deeds or actions that follow that. In the book of St. John, chapter 13 and verse 34, I referred to this a moment ago, 34 and 35, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And then verse 35, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have loved one to another. And so I believe that healthy relationships must be not only built or, or, or began, started in the church, but they must be cultivated because you, in order for a relationship to stay healthy, it's gotta, you've got to put some work into it. It's gotta, there's got to be some, uh, some cultivation. There has to be some investment made. But the church, that's the proving ground. That is the proving ground for love. Because rest assured, as I mentioned a moment ago, those that are outside are watching, outside the church are watching what's going on inside the church. And so they, they look in here and see that we're devouring one another. They know, I don't stand a, I don't stand a chance. I'm not even part of the family and they're eating one another up. They'll just, they'll devour me bones and all. And so they're watching. And so I think it is imperative that we understand that we need to love one another period, but other people are looking to see how we're handling situations. They want to see if we're really who we claim to be. Are we living it or are we just singing it? Are we living or are we just waving about it? Is it really in our heart? Because if we, if we fail at loving one another, then we have failed altogether. Because we don't get to choose who's in the church. If the church were our idea, then we would just pull together a bunch of people just like us. We'd sing all the songs we like. 
we, we would just have all, everybody, it would all be in common. We would just have everything in common. But like a natural family, the church is not like that. And so in a natural family, we are called on to learn how to love our earthly family. And one thing I figured about, out about every family is they're all made up. The only thing different is the name and the faces. That's the only thing different. In every family, you've got all of the, the same things, the, the same ingredients you would find in almost any family, invariably. And it doesn't matter what side of the social or economic line it, they're on. It, does, it really doesn't matter. Everybody has that funny and favorite aunt. And then everybody has that weird uncle. <laughs> and we'll just stop right there maybe for this sake of all of our families. As we read in 1 John 3.16, it says that Jesus laid down his life for us. And now he calls on us to love one another with that same kind of love. So let's look again at this statement in John 13 and 34. I know 35, by this shall all men know you're my disciples. But let's look back at 34. The Bible says, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. So here is the key in verse number 34. And it's in that opening phrase, he said this new commandment. This is a new commandment. In the old commandment, the, the old commandment says you need to love our neighbor as ourself. That's what the Old Testament says. But Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to raise up the letter, the, the, the level of the law. Amen. So in the new commandment, we're to love one another as Christ demonstrated love to one another. So what is this new degree? How did Christ love, one another, love us? How did he do that? Jesus loved us when we didn't deserve it. He loved us when we weren't lovable. He loved us. I could hand you the pen. You fill in the blank. He loved us when, dot, dot, dot. He loved us in that condition. You know why? Because that's when we needed love the most. <laughs> Amen. I heard this story all of my life. I'm sure it's just a, a, a saying of maybe. I hope, hopefully it is. But uh, there was a, a paving company that was paving the streets and re-putting fresh tar down on the streets and, and uh, one of the little boys got into that tar and just got tar all over him and it was said that his mother when she was trying to clean him up said it would just be easier to have another one than it would be to clean you up and uh, it may, if that was said maybe she just said it in the spirit of fun but uh, there's some truth to that it would just be easier to start again but you know the Lord didn't do that with us he found us in a mess well, I know there's some that don't think you were in a mess. You, you might have had a little crease out just a little bit to the left. And, but, but I'm going to tell you that many of us were in a mess. And that's when he came to us, when we needed it the most. That's why he came to us, because it was right there. I'm going to tell you that if people can make it through certain things in life without the church, they could probably make it through the rest of life without the church or without God. So that's why we've got to be there. We've got to show up. We've got to be on time. Amen. And so he loved us when we needed him the most. And so how do we then manifest that love? I mean, we're talking about Jesus. That's a pretty high bar. And how do we bring this passage then into the 21st century church setting? I think it begins with this, that love is not just an attitude. Love, and it's not just a feeling, but love is an action. 
We are told to love with actions and, and which are deeds, good deeds. We're told to love in truth, which is the right attitude. And so we need to love in good deeds with the right attitude, not here. We can do something good for the wrong reason or in the wrong spirit. Amen. I believe that all of us want to be loved. But sometimes we just, and, and we want to love. But sometimes you don't know where to begin. I think there's some practical ways that we can uh, demonstrate our love to one another. First, I believe that we can show one another uh, that we love them by how we think about them. Now, the Bible says in Proverbs 23 and 7, For as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What's in here is going to come flying out at some point. And so if we have a critical and judgmental thoughts concerning one another, we can be sure that the love of God is not going to be made manifest in that kind of atmosphere because loving actions have got to first begin with loving attitudes. Right actions are going to begin with right attitudes. And so we've got, to, we've got to learn how to give one another the benefit of the doubt. Amen. You've got to learn how to give one another the benefit of doubt. <clears throat> and, and that comes with time, right? You get a young married couple and something goes wrong, man, they're just ready to get out in the street. We'll settle this. After a while, you get too old to do all that. Right? I mean, it, it, when you're 18, you think, I know what she meant when she said that. And you get further on down the road, and you go, that's probably not what she meant at all. Because you learned. <laughs> you learned to give the benefit of the doubt. You just say, Maybe a bad day, having a, maybe she didn't understand me or he didn't understand me. And, and uh, so we've got to learn how to give the benefit of doubt, give some latitude. And so we've got to, to see one another through the eyes of faith and see one another through the eyes of hope. Romans, Romans 15 and 7 says, Wherefore receive ye one another. Another literal translation of that word receive is, is this, accept one another. Wherefore accept one another. And so we got to learn to receive or accept one another just like the Lord received and accepted us, just as we were. He's been working on us, and hopefully that has been a good investment and that, that he's getting something back on that return, amen? But we've got to learn how to accept one another just at that face value, just as we are, and cultivate an attitude of acceptance. And, and uh, this is one way that we can show our love. Another way that love can be demonstrated is by how we speak to and how we speak about one another. You can tell how people feel about someone just by how they talk about them and how they talk to them. There's something about that's conveyed from spirit to spirit. The scriptures exhort us to speak words that are seasoned with grace because words are powerful things. This past, this past Sunday night, Brother Williams talked about how damaging words can be. He referred to the, the, little, the, the, the little saying, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words shall never harm me. And how false those words are. What, what a lie. What an absolute lie. Because words can be very, very damaging. Words can encourage. Words can, dis, can, can discourage. Words can build up or words can tear down. The Bible says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. Life and death are in the tongue. And so uh, we, words can, that we speak should be words of encouragement, words of admonition, words of admonishment, 
things that help us to be cultivated and grow in him. Amen. I, I appreciate Wednesday night Bible study because what we're talking about tonight will give us something to shout about tomorrow. We, we can't just, we can't just uh, keep everything in high gear all the time. Sometimes we got to get our feet on the ground and realize how to be a family and how to be a church and how to, how to climb these mountains and how to walk through these valleys. And this is, this is it. And it's having a heart for one another. If you become someone that always has an encouraging word, I promise you this, people will be a path to your door. Because everybody wants to be around somebody that's going to lift them up and encourage them and strengthen them. Everybody loves an encourager. On the other hand, no one likes a cynic. People that are cynical and critical. I've been around people just like you have been around people that are so critical and they read an angle into everything about life and I just want to go home and take a shower. I just want to wash my brain. And my spirit, it just, it's so, it's such a downer. It's such, it just draws from you and dries you out. On the other hand, people that are, I'm not talking about blind optimism. I'm not talking about that at all. But people that are just encouragers, they just, they are just a, 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 uh, uplifting and they're upbeat. Amen. We need to be determined to be a person that is that would speak words of encouragement. Brother Newburn, brother introduced me actually to Brother McElhaney, Brother James McElhaney. What a what an encourager, Brother James McElhaney was. Always, always upbeat. The very last time we saw them, we stopped by their house in Nashville to visit with them a few years ago. And uh, oh my goodness, we 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 had breakfast together and. What a wonderful word of encouragement just to be strengthened. And that was Brother McElhaney. And it was always, you never dreaded to answer the call if it was him. You never dreaded to be in his company. As a matter of fact, you look forward to that. Because he is always an encourager. And so I want to be determined to do that. Another way you can demonstrate your love, finally, uh, is to show love by how we act toward one another. Not just in word, but also in deed. Because we've got to think right thoughts and speak right words, but then something's got to follow that. We can't just talk about doing something, but to do something. Because love is not a feeling. Love is an action of will. And so to give your enemy a cup of cold water, that is to show love. That is a demonstration of love. And sometimes the smallest things are enough. Amen. Most people, I know there's exceptions to what I'm about to say, but most people don't really need anything. They've got clothes and shoes and cars and homes. And and so sometimes it's not about the size of the gift. The smallest things sometimes can be so meaningful. And so those small things given with a genuine heart. So whether great or small, we can't be passive about how we show love. We've got to be proactive in love because love is something you do, not just something you say. An act of kindness here, a good deed there, love and action. That's what it's all about. But to develop a genuine and loving relationship, we have to be willing to invest time. It takes time. And so I want to challenge you this evening, amen, to take time to do this, to take the effort and the energy. Invite someone you don't know that well Invite them out for lunch. Invite them to dinner. Invite them over to your home. 
Maybe somebody that attends church, but maybe they haven't got their feet all the way on the ground or under them. And so you, you see them and you know their name, but if you don't know them that well, it's not going to happen in a vacuum. And so invest, get to know them, call them, take time. You're going to have to invest your energy, your time, your resources, but you know what? It's going to be worth it. It will be worth it. And so our love has got to reach in. There's got to be an inward pressing. But also for the church to be balanced. We can't just become, if we only reach in, then in, in time we'll be inverted. And it will all just be about us. And, and death is sure to come if we make it all just about us. And so love must reach out. Jesus said <clears throat> that we testify to the world who we really are by the love that we show to one another because love testifies and love liberates us. But love also has the power to liberate those around us. And so when the world sees our love and they become, because of that, more receptive to the gospel. And so that is part and parcel of why we do so many of our outreach programs like our connect groups and things of that nature. It gives people an opportunity. It's not a bait and switch deal. I don't mean it that way. But it gives people an opportunity to see the church without a songbook in their hand. And so it's, it's men that are together and they're just talking about guy things. Some are talking about hunting. Some are talking about golf. And some are talking about cooking and diff just different things, grilling and things of that nature. They're, they're talking about those things. And it's, it's men that are able, or people that are able to see them function. Ladies in the same setting. Some of our connect groups that, that, that do the arts and the crafts and things of that nature. Somebody's going to be sitting at that table and they're going to see people that are laughing and cutting up and they're going to hear about the, the fact that you burned your biscuits as well well what about that I thought if you had the Holy Ghost those things didn't happen but I realize and so they begin to see the church in a completely different light and so that's what it's all about they see that and, and because of that then they become more receptive to you and because they're more receptive to you they become more receptive to your God Amen. So our love must not only reach in, but it's got to reach out, and it needs to reach out to those outside of the church who don't know the Lord. And so if there was ever a, a capstone that could define the church, I believe it should be people that care, people who care. That's what, if somebody could give us a title, amen, that would, that would be such a compliment. Those are people, they care. They care about what's going on about in the lives of others, and we should care because Jesus cares. People are important to God, so people better be important to us. Outreach should be a very important part of what we do as a church. As a matter of fact, as I've already mentioned, everything we do as a church should have some measure of outreach to it. There should be something, and so I believe that the Lord desires to reach out through those who know him already and then allow that to just be a conduit to flow through, uh, to flow through and his word would be true and be sure and be found in their heart. I believe that we're commanded to share his love with the world. We know that. However, the Lord doesn't call and then fail to equip. If he's going to ask us to be a witness, he's going to give us the power to be a witness. Matthew 28 and 18, Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And so because we're filled with his spirit, 
He said that in Matthew 28, 19, but now that was Jesus the man, but we have Jesus the spirit living within us. And so because we're filled with his spirit, we can say all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Romans 10 and 13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's a wonderful promise. And that's a wonderful passage. However, that's not all Paul said. He didn't write Corinthians or Romans 10 and 13 and put down his pen. He also posed a very serious question in the very next verse. He said, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So here we have this wonderful promise that if we call on the name of the Lord, we'll be saved. And I hope we understand the context of which that is written. Paul was writing, of course, to the church. He was writing to people that are saved, but he asked a serious question. How are they gonna believe? Amen, how are they, if they haven't heard it, how are they gonna believe it? How are they gonna hear it without a preacher? And so we could say, well, I'm not a preacher, but what Paul is talking about is what we've been talking about for the last few services. God is calling all of us to put the trumpet of truth to our lips and share what we know. You say, well, I'm not an author. I haven't written any books. I haven't got charts and graphs. I haven't got all of this. You've got a testimony. That's what you have. That's the most powerful weapon in your arsenal. It's what God has done to you. Amen, done for you. In 2 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, the Bible says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given unto us, to us, to us, the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20, verses 18 and verse 20, so important. Now in verse 20, now then, we, now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead that ye be reconciled unto God. The Bible says that we are ambassadors for Christ. It's an age old illustration, but when an American ambassador goes to foreign soil for all intent and purposes, when they step off of that plane, they are the United States of America. Amen, they with all power, with all authority, you understand. And so I'm gonna tell you today that as ambassadors for Christ, when you walk in that restaurant, you are Christ. I'm not trying to puff you up and blow up your ego, I'm trying to help us understand understand that we are hope. When you walk into the hardware store, you are the light. Amen. You are the hope. You are the strength. You are the power of God, ambassadors of Christ. And we've been sent to speak on Christ's behalf. The Lord wants us now to participate in the work, the work of telling others about God. But how do we do this? The Bible says in verse 19 that he hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now we can't save anybody and you know that. That's not an informative statement, but he has he has committed unto us the word of reconciliation, the spirit of God working in us, through us. Amen around us helps us to be just the conduit, again, the vessel through which God can just speak. He said don't even take to his disciples. Take no thought about what you're going to say. 
He wasn't promoting ignorance and the lack of study or prayer. No, no, no. He said, but I'm gonna fill your mouth with words. I will give you, but why? Because I've committed unto you a spirit of reconciliation. We've been given a message to share. Hallelujah. We've been given a message that sets people free and we've been given a message that pardons people from their sin. We've given, been given a message that is alive. Yes, sir. Alive, not a dry text. We need to brush off the dust resuscitate, try to breathe life back into it? No. This gospel works. It doesn't work because of who you are. It doesn't work because of who I am. It works because it's God's word and he's committed that word to us. The message is the truth of God's word. It is the truth that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ can be set free. had the tremendous privilege through the years to be exposed to children's ministry on many different levels. And I've said many, many times that if ever you need convincing that the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking with other tongues is real, go to a children's crusade or a children's camp. Because they're not old enough you have been schooled and drilled and this is how you respond and this is what you do and they don't know the ta-ta-tas. <laughs> they just come in faith believing. Young ladies, young men and they lift their hands responding to the presence and the spirit of God. And they begin to weep and cry. Nobody's in their ear telling them what to say. Nobody's shaking their head, rattling their jaw. No, 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 no. They're just standing. And the Spirit of God takes up residence in their heart. And when he does, they begin to speak with other tongues. How? As the Spirit gives utterance. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so what we've got to tonight not worry about is the message. The message is fine. We've got to take care of the messenger and just say, Lord, help me today. I don't know who I'm going to meet. I don't know what life I'm going to cross. I have no idea what path I'll cross, but Lord, I've got confidence of this one thing. If you'll create an opportunity, I'll step into it. If you'll open a door, I'll step through it. If you'll give me an opportunity, I'll tell you some, I'll tell somebody about your goodness. Praise the Lord. I'll ask our musicians to come if they will. Amen. The truth I'm talking about is that there is no sin so black that Jesus can't forgive it. It's an age-old message now, but I was just listening to it again last night. I, don't, I can't remember exactly what year, in the early 2000s, mid-2000s somewhere. Pastor Mike Williams preached a message at Because of the Times about Lazarus in the grave, and he just preached a message entitled, The Stink Won't Stop Him. <laughs> so you don't even have to go further than that. The stink won't stop him. There were others standing around, but, 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 but the stink won't stop him. And I'm so thankful tonight to know that that's not just a message that was preached to tickle somebody's ear or to move somebody's emotion, but it's true. 
I've watched the Lord step into some messy situations. Amen. Some smelly situations. But the stink didn't stop him. And so I don't want to limit God. Amen. I don't want to limit God. Now it should be obvious to any one of us that a message must be spoken. But unless we speak the message of reconciliation, others will never hear it. And so the, the road to hell is going to be paved with good intentions. And so we can't just intend to do this one day, get around to it. But the greatest tragedy of all would be to have the truth that sets people free in our heart and in our head and never share it. Amen. But we won't share it unless we care, care whether or not people are lost. We have to understand the lostness of man. I, I've lived long enough and lived through a unique, I'm not alone here, but we've, several of us have lived through a unique time shift. I can remember in even earlier years of ministry, where no matter how worldly somebody was, no matter how big of a sinner they were, they had been raised with some semblance of a moral compass. They knew fundamentally right and wrong. They may have been a million miles from it, but they knew it. They were raised. There was a moral compass in the home. And so when people came to the Lord... It was a little bit shorter journey because they already knew some things that were right and some things that were wrong. They, they knew the basics, so to speak. But we are living in a very unchurched society. And I, I mean in the United States of America and I mean in the state of Florida and I mean right here in these com local communities and these few counties that are connecting here. Completely unchurched people. And, of course, my, my, my job, so to speak, causes me to rub shoulders with a lot of people in and outside of the church. And it's just amazing how unchurched. I'm just using this language here tonight because I think you're understanding what I'm saying. But how unchurched people can be. And just don't know the basics of God. And so how are they ever going to know because they're not going to have a grandparent to tell them and a parent to tell them or an aunt or an uncle. So we can't hope somebody else takes care of this. The church has got to stand up and say, me. This is going to depend on me. So I'm going to ask you again to tell me the greatest tragedy, a greater tragedy than knowing the truth and not sharing it. Working beside people, having family, perhaps in some cases. Amen. So we need to care about people and to care about their condition. We need to understand there's a, there's a, I don't want to meander here too much. I got a little meandering spirit on me, I can tell you that, but I don't want to meander too much. But we're living in a world today that thinks nothing about hell because nobody's going. Find me someone. 
it will be few and far between. Yet the Bible talks about opening her mouth without measure. This is a serious thing. And so what's, what frightens me more than the world losing their fear of hell is the, is the fact that the church is losing its fear of hell. The reality is there. It is there. And so if they don't know, and so we've got to have the Lord to touch our eyes and say, God, anoint my eyes and, and anoint my heart because I'm going to have to invest time. Here we go. Effort, energy, resources. We can't just simply sit back and expect everybody else to do all the work. Several years ago, we adopted a slogan that just simply says this, be the church, be the church. I've dismissed countless church services through the years and said, now we've had church. <laughs> you all can finish this sentence. Now let's go be the church. Don't just come here and do our own thing, high five each other on the front porch and say, man, wasn't that wonderful? We need to take a cup of this home with us and, and share it. Amen. So if they can't come to us by any means possible, we should do our best to go to them. Praise God. I'm gonna ask you to stand. John Courier was found guilty of murder in 1949 and was sentenced to a life in prison, a life sentence. Later, later he was paroled and his parole allowed him to still in prison, but his parole allowed him to work on a farm near Nashville, Tennessee. 19 years later, Courier's sentence was terminated and was overruled, and he was declared innocent because he had been wrongly convicted. And so in 1968, a letter of his release was sent to him, sent to the farm where he was sentenced, but tragically he never received the letter and never heard anything about it. Ten more years, 29 years now, ten more years went by, and a state parole officer learned about Courier's plight. He found him working on that farm and told him that his sentence was terminated and he was a free man. Now think about that. He worked as a prisoner all of those years because nobody told him, you don't have to do this. You don't have to be here. Amen. Amen. And so here's the church that's been entrusted with the most important message in the world. Oh, don't make the world beat it out of us. Don't make the world beat it out of us. I'm not suggesting that we have to do anything foolish. I don't even think you could probably do this anymore, but I remember growing up in a time when you could go in a TGNY or a Kmart and you used to have a little microphone, you know. And grab the microphone. <laughs> and people who grab that microphone. I'm not suggesting we go grab a microphone and get arrested and do something foolish. You don't have to get up on a table in, in a restaurant and be ushered out by the law. The gospel's too precious for that. Amen. I mean, you probably should be arrested if you do that. Because the church has been entrusted with the most important message in the world. Why would we put it on a garbage can lid and serve it? It ought to be served with a smile 
It ought to be served with conviction. It ought to be served with passion. Amen. We must do everything within our power to ensure that the gospel message reaches as far and wide as it possibly can. Amen. So tonight, I am in such good company. I don't think we've got it all together. I'm certainly not suggesting there's no room for improvement. But I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that's investing in other churches. Not just here in Florida, but across our nation and around the world. Because we don't want people to go to hell. This past Sunday, we had a CFC video promotion. My goodness. My goodness. A man, 68 years old, said, Lord, I just want to plan a church and just see what God is doing and then I'm not sure if you caught it I can understand if you didn't but at the end his widow he passed away but at the end she said we wanted to plant one more church and she named the city we wanted, that was our intentions we were going to plant one more oh <laughs> put something in us amen let this be like fire shut up in our bones I can't keep it to myself. Amen. Amen. Why don't you make an altar where you're standing there tonight? This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.